0: East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the air. Joining you now, your editor-in-chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz.
1: Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later in the show, our weekly conversation with MSU political scientist Matt Roastman. And then music editor Rich Tupica brings us another golden oldie from the Wolverine state. First up, though, what if you and your entire family caught COVID-19 just as you were finishing your last semester of college? Reporter Colt Huntingley taught to MSU student Julia Keeley, who graduated this spring after battling COVID together with her parents and brother. After Keeley moved back home, they all rapidly fell Then, three weeks of stress, paranoia, and obsessively watching the news. Here's the story. Julia Keel was about to graduate college at the sprightly young age
0: of 22. She was going to throw her cap in the air at commencement and use her film and advertising degree to secure a career in media. Then, the coronavirus came and messed everything up. She had to move back home to Bloomfield Hills to live with her parents and start taking all of her classes online. Students across the world experienced a similar situation to Keel, But unluckily for her, she had to suffer through it all while legitimately and reasonably convinced that her and her entire family had the virus. Yes, so uh, actually, it was probably
2: near the end of March is when I actually started getting like sick sick. And um, it was crazy, and uh, within a couple of days, er, my brother got sick er, here, I guess. I live at home with my parents. And my older brother and his wife. Mm -hmm. So, uh, within the first day, my brother got sick. And then my sister got sick the next day. And then I got sick the next day. And then my parents got sick, like, two days after that. So, we all got sick within a couple days of each other. So, that was kind of the first weird Occurrence because when one of us is sick, it's never that quick that we all get sick like that. But so that was kind of our first sign that it was COVID.
0: The symptoms of COVID are confusingly commonplace. Fever, cough, runny nose. Who's to know if it's the cold, the flu, simple allergies. Keel and her family finally started to worry when a new symptom appeared.
2: And then another the, nail in the coffin now. They're like, all right, I think we have
0: it. And we all lost our taste and smell, which has never happened. On April 27th, the CDC updated its list of COVID symptoms, adding six more chills, repeated shaking, muscle pain, headaches, sore throat, and of course, loss of taste and smell. Keel and her family were left scouring the news, hoping that they weren't missing out on any important updates. In uncertain times, staying informed can be a useful source of comfort.
2: Staying updated with the news kind of helped because I feel like at first the signs of COVID were just like a cough and fever. Like we didn't really hear about the taste and smell till after we already lost our taste and smell. So, I guess it's just kind of weird that they come up with new findings every day.
0: An early CDC report showed that almost 40% of all coronavirus cases occur among those aged 20 to 54. However, the report also showed that elderly people are much more likely to die from the virus. With a constant slew of new information coming in, Keel took solace in the fact that young people are less likely to die. But on the flip side, the age factor made her worry about her parents. Yeah, it's just weird. No one knows really any answers to anything. I feel like it keeps changing. So that is just kind of weird. But as... um... Young, as like a younger person i wasn't as too worried about myself because i knew i was gonna get through it just because i have a stronger immune system and my brother and his wife are fairly young too i was kind of just worried when my parents started getting sick and that when days they started feeling worse i was just hoping that hopefully the next day they would feel better that sort of thing but um i they beat it so that's all i can really ask for Keel and her family had similar experiences with the virus and similar symptoms. In her case, age seemed to be the only thing that played a role in how they reacted to it individually. While Keel, her brother, and her brother's wife recovered in a couple weeks, the virus affected her parents for longer and with more severity.
2: It was, we actually all had the same exact symptoms, and I feel like for. weeks we were still sick, and we felt like I guess after the first week you feel really groggy and kind of like confused. I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's just you're not like normal. Um, but my parents' symptoms seem to be a lot longer. Like I think they didn't start feeling like better till I want to say like three weeks a- after. So they like kind of had um, a longer
0: like length of being sick, Mm -hmm. so that was kind of, I would say that's really the only difference between all of our sicknesses, like we pretty much all had the same symptoms, it was like a low-grade fever, it wasn't anything super high, it was like 99.7, sometimes my dad had 100, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't something like super crazy. During the COVID outbreak, testing has been a major topic of conversation. NPR reported that hospitals in various states around the country are experiencing a lack of supplies. They also reported that the U.S. has the highest rate of confirmed cases versus tests conducted. This number means that we're simply not conducting enough tests. Keel and her family talked about getting tested amongst themselves, but they never ended up getting one. So I guess when we had it was when, uh, I feel like the news was kind of like...
3: Uh, Like, the news was just talking about how the hospitals are, like, so over, like, booked, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, So we figured we might as
2: well, like, save the test for people that actually need it. Because at that point, we already did, like, a FaceTime call with our doctors, and we kind of gave them the symptoms. And they were like, yeah, you are, we suspect you have COVID, just, like, keep an eye on it. And if things get super serious, then we need you to get tested sort of thing. And
0: things never got like super bad. So we kind of just waited it out and that seemed to be fine. Um, My doctor did say they were offering like the antibody test if we wanted to go get that um, when we got better just to like confirm we had it sort of thing. If you don't know, an antibody test is used to tell people if they have had the virus in the past, as opposed to a diagnostic test, which will tell you if you have it in the moment. I asked Keel what it was like to wait around experiencing symptoms of the virus without access to a test. Not getting tested was,
2: I wanted to know if I had it or not. Yeah, I guess that was frustrating, Um, but I guess I'm just happy we got better. And, I mean, it was pretty obvious that we had it because the symptoms matched up like 100%.
0: We Kiel definitely felt the emotional toll of having COVID, especially because she was worried that her parents wouldn't make it. While she feels lucky that everyone made it out alive, her three weeks of COVID were full of stress and worry. I guess...
2: Let me think that up. It's definitely, like, nerve-wracking because, no, like, no one really knew because we're all different ages
1: what the outcome was going to be for each of us because, oh, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. one, like, I could be totally fine and my brother could get worse, and my parents could get worse just because they're older, and um, on the news it said that older people were having um, more issues, kind of just not knowing was um, pretty scary. Um, luckily, we're all really healthy, and we were just staying focused on, like, taking care of ourselves, getting rest, and stuff like that, that we were able um, to beat it, but... Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. It, It's stressful, and I guess
0: being stressed doesn't really help um, getting better. Keel felt as though her experience with COVID was almost anticlimactic. Definitely amidst the plethora of nightmarish and tragic stories floating around on the news and on the web, Keel said she felt like her experience wasn't what she expected it to be.
2: Yeah. Luckily, because we were all kind of staggered, like, my brother got it first, then his wife, then me, then my parents. Like, once um, my brother and I and his wife
1: started feeling better, we could, like, help out with our parents a little bit more. Um, but it wasn't anything that you, like, see on TV or anything. It was just, like, it was just a long week of, like, a bad... You're listening to City Pulse on 89FM. Let's get back to Cole Tunningley's report and how a recent MSU grad and her family suffered together through what they believe was the coronavirus cold and
2: confusion and not being able to taste or
1: smell anything <laughs> yeah
0: that that part specifically is a little bit disturbing to me i that that one would mess with my mind a little bit yeah that was the worst i think it was the worst part of it because i enjoy being able to pee <laughs> and eat things and not great. As for graduating, Keel made it. She's officially an MSU grad. For Keel, moving classes online was actually pretty helpful, especially considering she was stuck in bed, had a fever, and no sense of taste or smell. Unfortunately, the school year could have ended with a bang. Keel was excited to be working with her film group on producing an entire T V pilot. They had hired actors, written and revised a script, and scouted locations. But when MSU went virtual, the project became much less exciting. The group couldn't meet, so instead of producing the actual episode of television, Keel and her film group had to come up with a detailed budget for their show. Instead of turning in a complete work of art, they turned in a three-ring binder full of data, spreadsheets, and a quick synopsis. Still, Keel said that she feels relieved to be done with school, especially after the stress of catching the virus. It was definitely but luckily all the professors at MSU were super understanding in these times. And I guess going to class isn't as strenuous as like waking up, going, getting yourself dressed and going to class. I mean, with a click of a button, I can just go on class. so that part was kind of easier for me that if I wasn't feeling well, I could just
2: turn my camera off and just listen to my professors. That part was kind of nice. But um, just like having to focus on school and having to worry if like my parents were getting better was definitely not the best situation but um, I just stayed in contact with my professors and if I missed something they were definitely understanding about getting in my assignments at another time and it, it definitely helped that Michigan State did the like satisfactory non-satisfactory grading
0: takes like a kind of a stressor off of like your grade coin and stuff like that. Kiel said that she- she was appreciative of the sense of community that MSU provided her, without people to connect to and talk to outside of her family, of course. The school was a source of distraction and a way for her to add structure to her day. The kindness she was shown during her last days at MSU left the impression that she was part of a wider Michigan State community that had her back. But yeah, it definitely helped that everyone in these times are kind of understanding and my professors would
2: check in if I was doing okay and stuff like that. So just that they cared about how I doing instead of their, mater- their class material and stuff like that. Their students were a
0: priority over their class. One major part of the college experience that Keel is going to miss out on no matter what, a live commencement. She said that she's unsure if she'll attend MSU's virtual ceremony because it's just not the same thing. But I guess, yeah, that part was sad, not being able to, like, graduate. I know it's kind of like,
2: you. you my brother went to MSU too, and he was like, oh, you... You're not going to want to go to commencement, but like I guess it's the fact of having the choice and being able to go to your own graduation.
0: For now, Keel plans to continue staying at home with her family, just hanging out, watching TV, and only going to the grocery store when it's absolutely necessary. She said that she's excited for her future as a film student, hopes that one day she can finally get back to doing what she loves, making movies with her friends. For City Pulse, I'm Colt Henningly.
1: Thanks, Cole, for that report. This is City Pulse on 88.9 FM WDBM at Michigan State University. I'm Burl Schwartz. And now it is time to hear from MSU political science professor Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential campaign. Matt, since we talked last, I read a bit of history about uh, the front porch campaigns of the 19th century. where uh, presidents actually got, uh, candidates actually got elected uh, without uh, leaving uh, their homes. And it was uh, discouraged uh, 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 for them to go out and uh, prostitute themselves, I guess, as candidates. Uh, Are we headed toward anything like that?
4: Well, we used to have some strange uh, norms that uh, the candidates didn't uh, campaign, uh, that didn't stop uh, a lot of vitriolic campaigning on their behalf uh, in uh, partisan newspapers and by uh, surrogates, uh, but the candidates uh, them, themselves were, were more absent uh, from from the race. Um, I don't know that we'll see that. Uh, certainly, Trump has been more front and center Uh, than ever uh, in the in the pandemic. Um, And uh, Biden has been absent, but not necessarily through his own doing. They've been they've been trying to get out there, but he just isn't a very interesting story at the moment. So I think as we ramp up, um, it'll be more similar to to last time where uh, Trump is the the focus of the uh, news media's attention and, and thus he continues to get the bulk of the coverage.
1: But how will, how do you see this playing out if, as seems very likely, uh, the pandemic is uh, not going to recede quickly enough to allow the typical and sophisticated field operations that uh, are associated with presidential politics, associated with every kind of politics, uh, whether you're running for city council or you're Uh, addressing uh, crowds and diners uh, in Iowa. Uh, How are they going to deal with this?
4: Well, presidential elections are, of course, the highest uh, turnout elections and the the most affected by factors like how close is the race? uh, Are you living in a swing state? Um, So, it, it is sort of the least affected by mobilization um, that said compared to say local elections where it really matters whether you hear about the particular race and, and get mobilized. Um, but uh, of course, they still spend uh, quite a bit trying to mobilize people uh, and uh, register new people. Uh, and I think uh, both of those are, are certainly going to be uh, put on, put on some hold, Um, although most of their effects are very late in the campaign. So mobilizing, say, through phone calls or door knocking is most effective in the very last week of the campaign, much less the last few months. So um, I I don't know that we know yet how much the the pandemic will uh, affect the actual success of mobilization, Um, but certainly it will dampen it.
1: Do you see uh, the Republicans being the party of reopening and the Democrats being the party of going slow uh, in this presidential campaign?
4: Well, it's certainly set from the top, um, so people will pay attention to what what Trump is saying. And he's sort of been on both sides, but obviously leaning towards uh, the the reopening side uh, lately. And since he has made his, his move and some governors have made their move, uh, we are also seeing um, we're also seeing moves in public opinion uh, with Republicans um, kind of returning to the polarization that we we started with. Um, so we had sort of a momentary pause in that polarization when everyone was on the same page, but it didn't last uh, very long. Uh, I still think that the results are going to matter more than uh, the the rhetoric right now, um, that is, you know, if we don't see a whole lot of differences uh, in states that opened early versus late, um, you know, then I think that, that there will be less of an argument that those decisions uh, made made a big difference, or maybe people's individual social decisions are, are sort of good enough. Um, if we see that the states that opened earlier have huge outbreaks, then I think it's it's hard not to hold those officials responsible, um, and then you'll see more uh, difficulties ahead um, for the president's party. Especially if it coincides with you know decisions to reclose the economy, um, then it will seem like nothing nothing was gained, um, and and that will reflect badly on the president.
1: Uh, uh, we're talking to uh, MSU political scientist, Matt Grossman, you're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM. The impact, Matt, uh, turning them to the uh, effects of the economy on the presidential campaign, uh, uh, we uh, are seeing Trump, uh, uh, Trump television ad in the last week, <laughs> in which he has now switched from I built the greatest economy in the history of the United States to I can build the greatest economy in the United States again. Uh, does that sell?
4: Well, normally it's very hard uh, to uh, get around the, the basic economic uh Impact that people are seeing. Uh, So you can, uh, of course, uh, try to spin it one way or the other, and that is more effective for your partisans than the opposing partisans. Uh, But uh, people still do notice um, real economic data, especially when it's as severe as we are seeing it, and they can see it around them. So I I don't think that he's going to be able to uh, change how people feel about the economy, Um, but that doesn't mean that Uh, a late upswing wouldn't help. So um, often it's, you know, we say it's the uh, economy in the last year of the election, rather than in uh, the (laughs) total four years of the incumbent president that matters. So people, uh, you know, people are myopic, they only uh, pay attention to what's happening in the late part of the Election right now that is very bad for Trump because the economy has tanked in the last two months. But that's not to say it couldn't work in his favor later
1: on if there's a rebound. Yeah, indeed. Uh, My recollection of 2008 when uh, Obama was uh, the Democratic candidate and John McCain was the Republican candidate is it was a pretty even uh, election, maybe even a bit uh, uh, in favor of McCain until uh, October. Uh, when uh, the economy tanked. Uh, So uh, perhaps the economy is tanked early enough for Trump uh, to recover. But uh, this uh, is uh, worse than the Great Recession. Uh, And Biden is leading in every poll I've seen by an eight to ten point margin. Biden certainly uh, has a disadvantage of having to run not a front yard campaign but a basement campaign. Uh, but is he, uh, despite his disadvantages of not being the incumbent, of questions about uh, whether, at uh, as he approaches the late uh, his late seventies, uh, that he's uh, competent enough uh, to. Uh, Uh, be a strong candidate is he in the is biden in the driver's seat right now
4: well if if the election were held today i think biden would be a heavy favorite um and so the question is what happens between um now and then um i think that uh the I, i think it's not necessarily bad for biden um as we've talked about a few times for it to be a referendum election on trump um that is the way it's probably going to be no matter what Biden does. Um, And if uh, Trump's ratings are going down um, and the objective circumstances aren't very good, then a referendum election is absolutely fine for Biden and he doesn't want to move it uh, into a whole lot of specific concerns about uh, him as an alternative to uh, Trump. So, uh, I would say it's so so far it's not been bad uh, for Biden to make the election fully about trump um and it has potentially dampened uh the the mobilization on the right so uh every partisans on both sides always want to be excited um, but it turns out that excitement on one side uh actually produces excitement on the on the other side typically um and so i I think you know he's lessening the chances that people are going to people who don't dislike Trump are gonna vote to turn out for Biden, but he's also lessening the chance that anyone is going to turn out out of hatred of Joe Biden, who wasn't already supporting President Trump.
1: I think we'll leave it on that note. Matt Grossman, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Grossman is a political science professor at Michigan State University, where he also heads the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. And this is Burl Schwartz for City Pulse on 89FM, The Impact. Well, with no live music to report on, our music editor at City Pulse, Rich Tupica, has taken to strolling down the memory lane of recorded music by Michigan bands. Before we hear Rich's pick for this week, I want to thank Skylar Ashley for producing this week's show. We'll be back next week, same time, same station, for City Pulse. I'm Burl Schwartz. And here's Rich Tupica to take us out.
5: Hi, City Pulse listeners. The track you're about to hear is by a band called The Ones. And The Ones were led by a dynamic lead vocalist and guitarist named Danny Hernandez, um, who sadly passed away back in 2000, age 53. Uh, But before that, he uh, recorded tons of great albums and played lots of shows all across Lansing. He was uh, kind of a... Local celebrity throughout the 60s and 70s, um, you know. Eventually, the ones uh, went on uh, with a few different formations uh, throughout the years. But this original version um, of the band that you're about to hear uh, was uh, the the first incarnation, and they recorded the song "You Haven't Seen My Love," and it was such a great song that Motown Records actually picked it up and re-released it as a Motown single, and it became a regional hit. So it was a big local hit in Lansing, but other pockets of the country, um, this record was a hit. Um, It featured a real moody kind of uh, uh, sad-sounding organ played by band member Kerry Nikoloff. His brother, Kevin Nikoloff was on bass, and uh, the drummer, Mark Boomshire. I mean, it was a really great group. Uh, really dynamic song, um, and some of the dynamics on this record can definitely uh, be attributed to Bob Baldore, who produced this, of The Woolies. So check it out. Here's the ones you haven't seen my love.
3: You've done most everything, but you haven't seen my love Unreal as it may seem, you inspire my every dream You've done most everything, but you haven't seen my love and most everything, but you haven't seen my love. Everything, but you haven't seen my love